Well, do please uh, turn back in the Church Bibles to 1 Peter 3, which is on page 1219. Page 1219. 1 Peter 3. For Kanchana Ketkow and her fiancé, Bonthwei Sieng Wong, it was a marriage made in heaven. Uh, Kanchana holds the record for spending 32 days in a cage with 3,400 scorpions. And Bunthwe's record is for spending 28 days in a cage with 1,000 centipedes. Uh, The Thai couple met on a snake farm performing their respective stunts and incurable if unconventional romantics that they are. They tied the knot on Valentine's Day, apparently consummating their wedding vows in a coffin. Who says romance is dead? (laughs) Well, as we continue our studies in 1 Peter, we come to chapter 3 and a subject that you wouldn't ordinarily go to unless you're working through a book like this, Marriage Guidance. Now, to those of us who are married, the subject in question seems obviously relevant. But for those of us who are single, either by choice or by circumstance, the temptation will be to tune out for the next 20 minutes. So let me give you four reasons why you'll be wise to keep listening. Number one, you might be married one day. Number two, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility to support others who are married, just as they have a responsibility to support you in your singleness. Mutual support can only be helped by mutual understanding. Number three, you are constantly exposed, whether you like it or not, to a plethora of different views about human relationships and marriage, fed from an unremitting diet of TV, film and magazines. So 20 minutes from the Bible will do you no harm and a lot of good. Number four, according to Ephesians, marriage is God's great visual aid to teach us about the relationship between Christ and his people. One writer put it like this, human marriage has always been only penultimate. No marriage is or can be a final experience. And every human marriage is truest to itself when it points beyond itself, representing something of Christ and the church in perfect union. So it is relevant for you whether you're married or whether you're single. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we began by looking at the, this, the way this whole section begins in chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12. It's a sort of header. So verse 12, Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's point is that even when Christians face ungodly opposition, they are to live lives that commend the gospel. This good life as we saw last week doesn't earn God's forgiveness it flows from God's forgiveness but this good life demonstrates the reality the the credibility the integrity of the gospel message to those who don't follow Jesus now to the question what what is then this good life Peter's answer is that fundamentally it is a recognition of the divine ordering of human relationships And so we looked last week at what that meant in the context of both civic government and the workplace. Now Peter makes it clear that Christians are to submit to civil authorities and to submit to employers looking to the example of Christ himself. 
So what then does this good life look like in the context of marriage? Is there a divine ordering of relationships there? And what might it mean for wives and husbands respectively? Well, Peter makes two points. Number one, wives submit to your husbands, verses 1 to 6. Husbands be considerate to your wives, verse 7. Now, according to 1 Peter 3, husbands and wives have different responsibilities in marriage, even though they are fundamentally equal as people. The Bible consistently affirms that men and women are equal in status and value before God. Male and female equality is rooted in creation, and it is re-established in the new creation. So in the very beginning, we read in Genesis, God created man, understood inclusively, in his own image. In the image of man, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Both men and women bear the divine image. At the level of who we are as people, there is a fundamental gender equality that is rooted in creation. And what is established in creation is actually reaffirmed in the new creation. So if you look down to verse 7 of chapter 3, just to look ahead, both men and women are heirs together of the gracious gift of life. Nevertheless, within the context of a marriage relationship, there is, Peter says, a divine ordering of relationships such that whilst there is an equality of status and value, there is a difference of role. Now, of course, the difficulty for us is that we assume that a difference in role means a difference in status, but that is simply not the case in the Bible. And nowhere is that point made more strikingly than in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus is one with the Father. He is fully God, as we affirmed in the Creed. And all must honour the Son just as they honour the Father. And yet, throughout his ministry... Jesus willingly submits to the Father's commands. Indeed, according to John 14 and verse 31, such obedience is the mark of true filial love. In other words, between the Father and the Son, there is a fundamental equality of being, even if there is a divinely ordered difference in role. The Father's authority is no more tyrannical and exploitive than the son's submission is demeaning and oppressive. Now, whatever Paul means when he says submit to one another in Ephesians 5, if indeed that is what is the best way of rendering that verse, whatever Paul means in Ephesians 5 when he says submit to one another, he cannot mean that we all have to do the same thing to be equal. He cannot mean that, as if status and value are inextricably bound up with our roles. In marriage, if nowhere else, that is both theologically wrong and logically impossible. It's theologically wrong for the reasons we'll see in 1 Peter 3, but it is also logically impossible because someone has to take a lead in any relationship. Mutual submission sounds fine in theory, but it is impossible in practice. Roger McGough <coughs> makes the point far better than I can in his wonderful poem, The Leader. I want to be the leader. I want to be the leader. Can I be the leader? Can I? I can. Promise. Promise. 
Yippee, I'm the leader. I'm the leader. Okay, what shall we do? (laughs) See, leadership is only a problem when we look to the world and not to the Bible for our models. Leadership is only a problem when we look to the world and not to the Bible for our models. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, be considerate to your wives. Now, there's no doubt that such a view is countercultural, but before we dismiss what Peter has to say here, I think a sort of a modicum of humility would be helpful. Whatever questions we might have about this bit of the Bible, the evidence hardly suggests that we've got it completely right when it comes to male and female relationships. If we haven't got anything to learn, why are books like Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus such phenomenal bestsellers? I think we would be wise to at least understand what the Bible teaches before we rush to excuse it or reinterpret it or dismiss it. So, number one, wives, submit to your husbands. Verse one. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. See, according to Peter, the good life acknowledges a divine ordering of human relationships in a number of different contexts, including marriage. And here it is a godly thing for a wife happily to submit to the leadership of her husband. Now it's important to remember what we saw last week, that there is a prioritising of relationships. So if you cast your eye back to verse 17 of chapter 2, you'll see that Peter says we are to show proper respect to everyone, but we are to fear or to reverence God. So if you're a woman here this evening and you are married... Your husband cannot instruct you to do what God forbids, nor can he compel you to refrain from doing what God himself commands. A Christian's wife's submission does not consign her to an abusive or even violent marriage. You can, according to 1 Peter, be a godly, defiant wife and leave just as you can be a godly, defiant citizen and protest. Nevertheless, there needs to be a recognition of the divine ordering of human relationships. And in the context of marriage relationships, the default mode for a wife is to happily submit to the leadership of her husband. Now, because the reason why God tells wives to submit to their husbands is presumably the same reason why he tells husbands to be considerate to their wives. It doesn't come naturally. See, why would God tell you to do something if you always did it without thinking and without effort? Wouldn't be much point, would there? Those of you who have children, do you tell them to tidy their bedroom because it is always immaculate... Or do you tell them to get clearing because you can't actually see the carpet for toys, clothes and rubbish? The Bible never gives idle encouragements or idle warnings. Now actually for Peter, the command for Christian wives to submit to their husbands is not mere assertion, it comes with reasons. And there are three. Wives, submit to your husbands, number one, in order to commend the gospel to those who don't believe. Wives, submit to your husbands in order to commend the gospel to those who don't believe. So, verse 1, in the same way, wives, be submitted to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. Peter's making the same point as we saw last week, that even when Christians face ungodly opposition, 
They're to live lives that commend the gospel. And here he recognises that for Christian wives, ungodly opposition might actually come from an unbelieving husband. Now, of course, Peter's words are no sanction for Christians to deliberately defy God and marry someone who is not a Christian. That is, to use Paul's words, to sin so that grace may abound. The sense of Peter's words suggests that marriage between a Christian wife and an unbelieving husband is unusual. Nevertheless, sometimes a Christian woman will find herself married to an unbeliever for a whole host of reasons. Some wives will bear some responsibility for the situation, but many do not. So there are those here who have become Christians since they got married. And there are others here whose husbands previously called themselves Christians, but they have now given up following Jesus. Whatever the reasons, Peter says, wives are to submit to their unbelieving husbands in order that they might commend the gospel. You see, there is, Peter says, a way of living that commends the reality, the credibility, the integrity of the gospel message. And that is true in marriage as wives submit to their husbands. Now, sometimes, of course, that is incredibly difficult. And I wonder whether those of us who are not actually in the situation of being married to an unbelieving spouse can really understand just how difficult and how painful it can be sometimes to be in that relationship. But difficult though the situation may be for you or for somebody that you love, 1 Peter says that it is not irredeemable. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without a word by the behaviour of their wives. Wives, submit to your husbands in order that you might commend the gospel to those who do not believe. But then secondly, wives, submit to your husbands because it is of great worth in God's sight, verses 3 to 4. It is of great worth in God's sight. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfailing beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, let us be clear. Peter is not saying that any outward adornment is inherently wrong and that the only options for a Trini and Susanna makeover are grey, more grey and sandals. (laughs) The NIV, the translation that you have in front of you, actually inserts a word in verse 3 which isn't in the original. Peter says your beauty shouldn't come from clothes, not fine clothes. So Peter's instruction isn't a command to wear no jewellery any more than it is a command to wear no clothes. The point is, a wife's fundamental beauty doesn't come from what is external, but from what is internal. And yet, everything about our contemporary world says the exact opposite. Everything. The constant pressure of our culture feeds the insecurities about the way women and the way increasingly men look. If you do not have celebrity Hollywood looks, you are made to feel as if you are nothing. 
But that is simply not true. And mere repetition of the lie doesn't make it any truer. You see, the wife who submits to her husband displays, verse 4, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. Wives, submit to your husbands in order that you might commend the gospel to those who do not believe and because it is of great worth in God's sight. And finally, verses 5 and 6, because it is the pattern of godliness throughout the Bible. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. It is a mark of godliness, not servitude, for a Christian wife to submit to her husband. It is part of a divine ordering of human relationships that commends the gospel in the face of hostile belief. Now, I know that all of us can look at bad examples of Christian marriages where men are dominating, where women are exploited and oppressed. But bad practice doesn't make the Bible's teaching any less true. All of us can, if we look hard enough, see good examples, not perfect examples, but good examples of Christian marriage. Good examples of wives married to unbelieving husbands where wives submit to the leadership of their husbands and commend the gospel in a hostile and unbelieving culture. Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, secondly, husbands be considerate, chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands be considerate. Now, I don't know whether you you get into the sort of Valentine thing. If you're a man, then self-righteous and indignant outrage at the commercial exploitation of human relationships may give you a good cause to exempt yourself from the whole torrid business. How good to think that your hands and wallet can remain unsullied, freeing yourself to save towards something really important like a 42-inch plasma screen TV or an upgrade for your computer. Now, of course, if you are going to risk being commercially exploited, Asda may not be the best place to start. Uh, This year, as many of you will know, Asda were offering the ultimate cheapskate option for the hard-up, half-hearted romantic, a Valentine's card for 8p. (laughs) Complete on the front with the Smart Price logo. Now, I have to say, my experience of the female species to date would suggest that a Valentine's card with the smart price logo that you get on a cheap loaf of bread probably isn't going to go down too well. (laughs) Well, Peter says, verse 7, husbands, be considerate. Wives are to submit, but husbands are to be considerate, considerate in their use of their authority. That seems to me to be what Peter means when he says that husbands are to treat their wives with respect as the weaker partner. I think weaker here refers to weaker in terms of authority. In the divine ordering of marriage relationships, wives, not husbands, are to submit. And there is, in that sense, great strength in weakness. 
after all, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Husbands are to be considerate. Considerate in the use of their authority within a relationship. They are to treat their wives with respect, Peter says. Or I think much better, husbands are to honour their wives. To honour them. So how do you honour your wife? Well, if you're a husband here this evening, then let me ask you a few questions. And as I ask them of you, I ask them of myself. Are you committed to helping your wife to grow as a Christian? Do you encourage her to pray and to read the Bible? Do you build her up in private? Do you encourage her? Do you affirm her? Do you support her? Do you honour her in public? Do you honour her in public by always speaking well of her? Or are you constantly disagreeing with her? Persistently undermining her? How much time do you spend with your wife? Is she a priority in your week? Or does she always get the fag end of the day? Can you make time for work commitments and leisure commitments and even church commitments? But you cannot make time for marriage commitments. Do you honour your wife with your money? Are you careless with the family budget when she is careful? Are you selfish in the way you spend your money and mean in spending it on your wife? Are you considerate? Do you honour your wife? Husbands, be considerate. Why? Well, Peter gives two reasons. In the first place, because she is an heir with you of the gracious gift of life, verse 7. If your wife is a Christian, she may well have a different role to you in marriage, but she is your equal before God. And if God so honours your wife, If God in Christ loved her and gave himself up for her, why do you imagine that you are at liberty to do anything less? Husbands, be considerate. Honour your wives, because she is an heir with you of the gracious gift of life. But then the second reason Peter gives to husbands again comes in verse 7, so that God will not hinder your prayers. So that God will not hinder your prayers. 1 Peter 3 verse 7 teaches that if you are not considerate towards your wife, if you do not honour your wife, the Lord will discipline you so that you will learn to. It's not actually very clear from the way in which the NIV translates verse 7, but the end of the verse is actually so that your prayers may not be hindered. Treat your wife with respect so that your prayers may not be hindered, i.e. hindered by God. Rightly relating to your wife is so important to God, 
He will even temporarily impair his relationship with you so that you will learn and go on learning what it means to be a godly husband to your wife. So if you're feeling far from God and you are a Christian husband, one of the things that you ought to check out is your marriage. Marriage guidance. See, all of us are always listening to somebody. We will either listen to the world or we will listen to God in the Bible. And if you read the divorce statistics, our contemporary understanding of marriage relationships seems to have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Maybe we ought to pray this week that if we are a Christian wife, God would help us to submit to our husbands. If we are a Christian husband, that God would help us to be considerate to our wives and to honour them. That all of us together would support the institution of marriage so that this great picture of gospel reality would be held forth before an unbelieving and hostile world.